they've always had this 2 point billion sitting there. Mm. So what the fuck, man? You've had money yeah, sitting there yeah. and you've let people use food banks. Well, no, you cunts. <laughs> Welcome to Surviving Society with Shanto and Tiso. Towards more sociable sociology. Welcome to Surviving Society with... Chantal and Tiso. Britain's regressing to the 19th century and it's... We're doing it with our eyes open. And that's our theme for season six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, like I said, for me, it's upsetting to think that politics 101, right? When I first done my first degree, it yeah. was about politics of the 19th century, the deserving and undeserving mm. poor. And in 2019, you're having that same debate. Yeah. <clears throat> That's how it makes me feel. Yeah, definitely. So, great mm. start, T. But just to formally Sorry. introduce Kate yeah. Haddo. Yeah. You got it right, girl. Who <laughs> is a PhD researcher who is about to submit really? at T-Side. Yeah, yeah. um, so, <laughs> we're really, really Thank excited you. for you to be here with us. You've travelled down all the way from Newcastle. Oh, That's pleasure. really, really kind of you. <laughs> and... We're really looking forward to talking about... Well, I'm, I'm say looking forward to... When I met you over a year ago now, I remember just being completely enticed, but you're, like, gripped on what someone's talking <laughs> yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The journey that you've had in coming yeah. into your research is insane, but is very much a microcosm of what... How shocking yeah. current wealth inequality is in the UK. Like, is it the worst in Europe? I, I, I don't know. Statistics. I think well, one of the most unequal societies in the, in the world, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, can you just give us a little brief introduction into your research? Oh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> so, basically, I did an ethnography in Middlesbrough of basically hidden food insecurities. So, I basically hung around with a bunch of guys, and I'll talk about why it was mainly guys. I hung around with them for essentially a year at all these different food sites in Middlesbrough. They're not soup kitchens because they don't really serve soup, but I think they are what we call our modern day soup kitchens. Toasties. Yeah, yeah. Um, There was a lot of pasta, a lot of curries. um, And yeah, I essentially hung around with them. I wanted just to get a really good idea of what it was like. And um, I think what is frightening is like these guys have never used a Trust Trust food bank. And so what I think my research has highlighted is that we've got a massive problem, I think, with hidden food insecurity. Okay, roll back. What is the Trussell Trust? The Trussell Trust is the largest sort of franchise of like food banks in the UK. And um, there is fair share as well, but the most well-known was Trussell Trust. So you'll see Trussell Trust baskets in like Tesco's, things like that. The Trussell Trust is what we rely on at the minute for data about food insecurity, which so basically if you visit a Trussell Trust food bank, you will be sort of flagged up um, around obviously using a food bank. But as I said, there is issues around people using the Trussell Trust. So not everybody who's food insecure uses the Trussell Trust. Mm. Um and how do you get to use the Trussell Trust Food Bank? So you've got to be referred by a recognised referrer, and generally it's people like a GP, social worker, probation. Uh, I think things like Sure Start Centres have them as well. So if you're are they not... Sure Start Centres still? I thought oh, they were all Well, down. yeah, I think, I think most of them are <laughs> shut down. But if you're, yeah, if you're still sort of in a connection with one, and like things like the Citizens Advice Bureau as well. But as I said, the Trussell Trust is quite exclusionary because if you're not in that loop, if you don't know about it. Are you going to access it? How do you know you're food insecure? How's yeah, it even how defined? Do you get to yeah, that yeah, point? yeah. I think it's generally like they say it's a crisis point, but for the, the people I work with, the crisis just never ended. <laughs> it just continues to go on. The, the Trussell Trust sort of advertised themselves as like helping people through a crisis, but as I said, like yeah, crisis. like say that the people are in constant crisis all the time, and you know it it doesn't. 
generally, you know, it'll be if you go to Citizens Vice for a problem, they'll generally, you know, you'll sort of say, you know, I'm having a really hard time. They will offer you vouchers, but it's, it's you know, it's quite a shameful thing to do, actually, is ask for a voucher. It's quite an off-putting thing. Yeah, no one wants yeah. to ask the handouts. The lads, yeah, the, the lads I work with, they wouldn't... I don't think they would go to the Trussell Trust. They would never ask anybody for a food bank uh, for a food bank voucher because that's quite shameful. Whereas at the free food places, which I'll talk about a bit more, you can just turn up and no one asks questions. Yeah. And that that is what the lads like. They don't want people saying, you know, why are you here and oh, can I help you? It's yeah, the, the lads like that. They don't mm. want to be they don't want to go through form filling and asking questions. They like the free food places because they can rock up, be served some food and no one asks any questions. Mm. Go undetected. So if we just roll back a sec, when mm. you were initially applying or putting in your research proposal for this PhD, what was the main focus? And then how did you enter yeah. the field? What happened initially? And then you can sort of explain who, in quotations, the lads are. Yeah, yeah. Like, So basically, my PhD is totally different from where it started. So originally, um, I was basically asked to look at faith-based responses to some of the problems in Middlesbrough. But to be honest, as I've said before, Middlesbrough is one of the most deprived areas of the UK and there was a number of social issues happening and there was so much the faith groups were responding to, it was quite hard to decide which ones. And I basically decided to sort of stick to food insecurity because that seemed to be the sort of main thing that they were doing. It's obviously mm. um, the Trussell Trust, the biggest food bank um, franchise in the UK, that is a Christian based organisation. Is it? Okay. So basically I decided to stick to the food side of things um, and just concentrate on sort of, um, yeah, faith-based responses really to food um, food insecurity. Mm. Um, and I had a lot of trouble, to be honest. Um, I, you know, I was meant to be working with um, sort of different faith-based organisations and for various reasons it, it just didn't really happen. I think there was a lot of suspicion around who I was and I think Middlesbrough is quite, it has been called like a research lab. There's been a lot of researchers in Middlesbrough and I think they do sort of get that fatigue of being researched. Yeah. I think there was an element of, oh, here we'll go. Here's somebody doing a research project. She'll be here and do two interviews and we'll never see her again. And it just, like I say, it just didn't work out for various reasons. And I, I came across, essentially I was in um, sort of like a Catholic pastoral centre and I came across this list and it's called the Middlesbrough Free Food List. And I was like, ooh, I was like, this looks really interesting, but also obviously really shocking. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. And it was literally, it is a timetable of literally Monday to Sunday of all these different faith uh, groups who are basically putting on sort of different food aids. So like, you know, like food banks and um, sometimes the handout, just hot meals um, and things like that. And I basically just decided to sort of turn up at these sites um, and just try and sort of either like volunteer um, or even try and speak to some of the people who were using it. Um, and again, that wasn't easy. Um, I did actually end up volunteering in one, but it was the manager of a breakfast club. I basically said like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to volunteer. And he, he basically was like, oh, like we're fully staffed. He went, there's not really like a, a place for you. And I was, I was really gutted and I was close to tears because I thought my PhD's going nowhere. Yeah. No one's talking to me, no one wants me here. Yeah. And he basically just said, he went, look, he went, I'm happy for you to just sit. And he was like, talk to the, the service users if that's what you want. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Mm -hmm. So I sat down and basically like waited. And I, like I said, I'd been around at these free food sites before. So, but again, it, it was so hard. The, the service users, you know, they don't trust people easily. They stand in their own little group. There's very little interaction between volunteers and service users, which and it was another reason. So service users are people that are food insecure that yeah, are using the yeah. They use they're using the... basically um, these free food places every day, pretty much. So I sat in at this breakfast club, and I'd seen I'll use his pseudonym Sean, 
and um, I'd seen him around at food places, and I and like he, I remember him being quite suspicious of us, and sort of being like, "Why is this girl here?" And I, he just he literally walked in, and um, he just literally shouted. He was like, "He went, are you fucking stalking me?" He was like, "You've been at like every free food place this week," and I went bright red through embarrassment and was like, but I was also kind of pleased because I was like, "Thank God somebody's actually noticed that I'm here." I exist, I exist. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, you and and I just went bright red. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of stalking you." And he was just like, and he sat down with us, and he was like, "You know what do you want?" And I was like, well, I'd love an interview. <laughs> and he was just, and he agreed. He was like, yeah, he went, go on. He went, I'll do an interview for you. And like, you know, we got chatting and stuff and we got on really well. And then, you know, we built up quite a good rapport. And I, to be honest, I didn't think he was going to turn up the interview. We agreed to like uh, interview him later that day. And um, I, honestly, I didn't think he would show. I, I don't know what it was. I just didn't think he would, but he did. And like, um, I interviewed him and like, basically he's he, he sort of friend. And, um, you know, we'd, again, we got on really well during the interview and, you know, I told him what I needed and I said that I needed a lot more interviews and I just wanted to know like, a lot more about the free food places. And he basically just said, like, why don't you come with me? He's like, just, he said, we'll take you, like, we'll just take you around. And from then on, it was so much this unwritten rule that I hung around with, like, basically Sean and the lads. So there was, like, a, quite a small group, about six, seven of were. Obviously, membership varies, people come and go out of the group, but, yeah, I sort of hung around with them from sort of December 2017 to, yeah, July 2018. Um, and I would, yeah, just come down and meet, meet up with them at the different free food sites. And I would just sit with them. They'd obviously have the meal. I didn't have anything. I would just maybe have a coffee and we'd just sit and talk about, and I would just observe what was going on. We'd just be chatting about things, you know, like the problems in their lives and what's been going on. So, been a bit of a journey. Now we, we was talking about it. I was just in a, I suppose, a 19th century building in central mm-hmm. London. And they've got poor boxes still up. And if you read the, the stonemasons, obviously they've got the older buildings still up and it's saying, give arms to the poor, give arms mm. to the poor. So it's it shows like these are always like well, Christian, they were yeah, it's a yeah, church, yeah. Christian based groups providing help to people. Yeah. But they, they always come to strings most of the time. And it shows the kind of lack of, I don't know, will or well, I don't know what they were, due care by the mm. state. Because given post-1945, there was a consensus to the people. Yeah. From cradle to grave. But this apparently isn't happening. Is, is that what you're seeing in your research? Or? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, what I've noticed is, I mean, you know, faith groups have always responded. They've always mm. been there. But what I've noticed, they've always said to me, like with interviews that I've done with like volunteers and stuff, is that... Basically, the faith groups fall in and out of favour depending on what government's in. Um, and But they are seeing a massive pressure basically since the austerity cuts. They have been, and they, they have said it's been very difficult because they've had to decide what they're prepared to do and actually what they can't do and what it's actually not appropriate for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's just as well, like, it's, you know, they're, they're really struggling as well. You know, they want to do a lot more, but obviously they are constrained as well because it's volunteer labour. So, you know, we constantly struggle to get volunteers. Mm-hmm. Volunteers are tied in terms of time and things like that. And as well, a lot of these, what I've noticed about a lot of faith-based stuff and what I've found, particularly in my research, is how unsteady it is. So quite a lot of the times, me and the lads would turn up and actually the, this free food place would be shut down mm-hmm. because they've run out of funding or there's like a problem with the electricity or something in the hall and just things like that. And it's just, there's just no stability whatsoever mm-hmm. and sort of, as you know, like third sector responses to things like this. Mm-hmm. And there's also, I mean, I, and I didn't expect to say this, but I, I also witnessed um, quite a lot of 
um, well, I would, I would say really abuse of power in these faith-based places. So I witnessed a lot of evangelical preaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Evangelicalism is yeah. about conversion. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember in the in the one place where I met Sean, there was a preacher used to come each week, and he was quite aggressive. Yeah. You know, he he would um, call call basically call the service users Sinners. like scroungers <laughs> and things like that. And he promised them things as well. There was a lot of deceit involved. So one of the lads I was working with at the time, he um, he gave him a book and it was a Bible, but he gave him a children's Bible because um, he couldn't see. He was having problems with his eyesight. Mm. And that, we were killing ourselves laughing because he gave him a children's Bible because it would have pictures in it. And he could see the pictures and stuff. We were ill laughing. Like he's a 50-odd-year-old man reading a children's Bible. And um, and the preacher basically said, like, um, if you go to a... Um, like an opticians, he went, I'll pay for the glasses for you. And I said to him, I, went, I said to the, the service user, I went, are you going to take up his offer? I said, are you going to go to the opticians? He went, no. And I went, why? And he went, because he'll expect me. He went to then like preach on his behalf and like basically sort of join this mm-hmm. this group of preaching. But that's like consistent with what... It's mental, isn't it? Within every institution, there's always... If the state retreats from providing those services, individuals step in and individuals have their own motives. And yeah. so when you're mm-hmm. a, yeah. a church-based thing, so... I remember, I, I think I told you the story. One time I was at King's Cross when it was like a shithole, right? So I've come, I've come around the corner, it's about 11 o'clock, and I see my pal at 11 o'clock with his mum, his sister, and a few other bods, rapping. What? Trying to convert, <laughs> trying to convert people on their down, who are out on their luck, who are struggling, yeah. trying to convert homeless. them. Homeless. Homeless, yeah. saying giving them food. Yeah, Obviously people, yeah. and it, when you're down on your luck and you're yeah. having a bad time, you're vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And to so these people, and they're, and they're promising stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I, I was going to slate you for the rapping, but I thought, what do I do? do I, is yeah. it the rapping, or you're, you're trying to exploit people at the, at the lowest point in their life? I went, I went into rapping, because I was about 16. But, mm. <laughs> but yeah. Just a, a question that's sort of coming into my mind, Kate, hearing mm-hmm. about your really important research but also troubling research and I guess a topic that we speak about a lot on the podcast is about yeah poverty and inequality and what the cuts have done um austerity how do you right how Mm. and why do you think those in power cannot see how violent their cuts have been to various parts of the UK like do you think it's like I know this is quite a big, like, quite mm-hmm. a, a deep question. Deep question. <laughs> but it's something that I'm really thinking yeah. about a lot now when you're seeing how just fucked people are. Mm. How, do you think it's that they, first, do you think it's that they don't realise how bad it is for people? Do you think it's that they, they are able to switch off? Or do you think it's that they truly believe that there are some people that are mm. supposed to exist and some that aren't? I think it's a. I think it's an issue of just these people have just got no idea what it's like below the breadline. Yeah. I just think if these people came to like Middlesbrough and came to these free food places, I think they would get a shock. I just don't think they've got. You know. You know a lot of politicians and you know you see this all the time. They are in the top one percent. Yeah. You know they were privately educated. They're in born in. And we're not just talking like you know privileged middle class. We're talking you know upper class. We're talking really yeah. really wealthy privileged people. And they just don't have a clue what it's like. And I just, I genuinely think there's just an issue around class disgust. I think they would look at my, you know, the services that I work with and just think these people, it's their own fault. And I just think, they think they're disgusting and they're violent. I don't think they care what happens to but them. That's, that's what I'm saying. They see, they see poverty as an individual's yeah, fault. Yeah, they do. It's, it's, a, it's a moral failing. Even, even, 
the, and I know I'm sort of bringing it back to something which you guys can't necessarily answer, but even in this current like moment, we know there's so much evidence that it isn't an individual. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter. If we, if we, it depends on your position, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. In my position, my position is structured. Yeah. If I'm at the top and I've, I, I have no idea, I haven't seen it as neoliberalism. You can pull yourself up. I've given you the means to do that. So we have, you can, anyone can get a job if you try hard enough. That's the kind of theory. Mm-hmm. But even though it's systemic, they don't look at the background where you're born. It, it, even their own background, they don't see it. It's like it's yeah. normalised for them, isn't it? So if, if you're someone like Boris Johnson, it's normal for me to be where I am. Yeah. I don't think about anyone else. So if you're poor, it's your fault. Yeah. You're just not working hard enough. Whether that means whether it's your gender that's affecting you, whether it's race or whether it's your class, whatever it is, you're not doing enough. Yeah. And that and that's I guess I completely agree with what you're saying, with both of what you're saying. It just feels like actually a bit insane that yeah. we're like that it's this bad now yeah. and they still believe that. But 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 is it insane? It, that's yeah. co- but it's consistent. That's it's, it's, it's consistent. It's, it's, that, yeah. That's so normal. That's yeah. whenever I read a history book, that's the same story you've been telling yeah, over and over again. But the difference is now that we have more of a voice. And we've, we, we are, as working class people, have educated ourselves and we have mm-hmm. a voice. And we, what we're saying, we're not talking bullshit. Yeah. We're talking theory plus our lived experience. Yeah. yeah. So you can't really argue with that. And if, if enough people believe you, enough people who are powers, and we speak the same language, we see, we see our powers, we can talk to them. It's not someone who's middle class talking down to you. Yeah. It's my own people talking to me. Yeah. And from that, maybe you can affect change. But up until up until this point, it's been middle class people looking at us like lab rats, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Telling us, oh, it's your fault, and you can understand. It's, to them, it's academic, but this is my life you're talking about, mm. and that's a madness. You know what I mean? <laughs> man gets <laughs> deep like that. Man's been on the train. Man's been on that on the train like. No, it just like. It just, I knew that when you agreed to come on the podcast, Kate, I knew it'd be a really important episode because mm. it's one that like we all see within our families, within our own communities that we've grown up in, as something that's really, really like affecting our lives yeah. outside of academia. Yeah. Like, and it's something that I've been just really, yeah, just tr- struggling, just struggling to come to terms with how much people don't care. And I know it's yeah. consistent. I know it's consistent. I know it's completely consistent. But this, the food bank, but you see, I, it's I, like... I think it's important. See, like Kate's research, I think it's someone who's working class to speak on it and yeah, to, yeah. Exactly. To, to research it so when you're there you, they don't even though you, like you said your experience is like who the fuck is this person yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, 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 she's not one of it's us it's funny because like when I do it with that, a lot of people see it as like how did you do it because yeah. like a lot of obviously a lot of the guys I work with they are some of the most vulnerable and some of the most marginalised in our society and I, people do sort of say to me like god how did you do it and like and a lot of it is class based and yeah. a lot of it is also gender so like the lads were very clear that they wouldn't let another man into the group yeah. they would not let a male researcher into the group they wouldn't let him hang around with us and like I, I just laughed because they were always like I know I said I was like you know why did you let me into the group and they were like oh you're just a really nice lass and he was like you know you went, you're just dead canny and dead genuine and then <laughs> and I laughed because one of the things was when you can tell you've done bar work like you went, you can tell you were a barman and stuff like that and it's just it is that working class connection yeah, and like yeah, yeah. that whole habitus that yeah, sort of thing yeah. it definitely was that and yeah the fact I was like a young lass as well basically <laughs> yeah but yeah. those things matter like I said like especially in academia you whenever we do our research we start off looking at uh, kind of thinkers mm. and usually old white middle class yeah. men and who've been telling us about us and they think so as like Edward said like in the Orientalists they kind of 
they know us more than we know ourselves. That's mm. how they talk. Yeah. And so they're always talking on us and study us and give us books about us. But yeah. you don't know my life. Yeah. You don't know that I'm poor if I ain't got a pair and I care because it's relative poverty we're looking at sometimes. But mm. then equally, I'm absolutely poor because I'm skint. Yeah, I can't afford yeah. to pay my TV license and all that shit. Stuff like that. And mm. it's important for us to do, well, especially now, to do our own work and our yeah. own research. But mm. do we get funded? No. Okay, we want you to talk about Sean and the lads. <laughs> So it started off being Mm. about food, poverty, food insecurity, and it developed into something a little little bit bit more. Not weird, (laughs) it developed into something more than that. Can you tell us about how it developed? So Sean was like, you can join us, you can join the crew, you can join them. I I soon Uh realised when I joined it, like, they were like, like, I'm reluctant to use the word gang. Um, you know, I I am sort of reluctant to use that word, um, but I I realised that there was rules in the group and there was a hierarchy, and I I realised that I was lucky that I met Sean because he was basically the most dominant guy in the group, um, and basically what he said went, um, and he was he was very much you know he was my key gatekeeper you know he let me into the group he introduced me to the lads he basically lined up people to be interviewed for me when you would hang around with them. Mm. Would it be within the centres or would it be in other places? No, we would. Um, I would hang around with them like sometimes before, and sometimes there would be like face stuff on. Like there'd be like an hour's gap between like two. So we, I used to hang around with them as well in sort of like public areas. So like the library was a really important space for the guys. Um, really important. Um, I think what as well I noticed about for the lads is very much a lack of places for them to go. So we were always hang around in like shopping centres, parks. Street corners. Standard. Yeah. Standard. Um, and yeah, there's very much a lack of places for them to go. So yeah, I, I got like, I managed to get an insight into their lives. It would be sort of for like three hours at a time, generally. So uh, most of them, did they finish school education or did they A-levels, master, uh, university level or was most it a mixture? Them, yeah, um, a bit of a mixture. Um, most of them, none of them have been to uni. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them sort of left school like after the GCSEs um, and sort of went straight into work. But all of them had worked. That's mm-hmm. something, you know, I wanted to put out there. You know, none of them, again, about that myth about, you know, these people have never worked a day in their life. Actually, they have worked. All of them have worked. Some of them worked really, really hard. Mm. And it very much um, echoed some of the findings that are already in, in sort of the side studies. So the lads very much sort of transitioned, like, from, you know, low-paid temporary work to out-of-work benefits most of their lives. None of them had really known job security. They led quite difficult lives. Most of the lads had, you know, not great upbringings. You know, a lot of them coincided with, you know, deindustrialization, And that was something that very come across really apparent. And when I interviewed the older men, the older men had known job security. Most of them had worked in nearby industries, so things like British Steel, which was obviously a massive employer. Some of them had known well-secured paid jobs. But the younger lads didn't, and you know they were really struggling in terms of basically just finding a job that paid all right, you know. And I think the thing is, you know, the lads don't have grand aspirations. They want, you know, they just want what everybody else has. You know, they just want a house. They just want to, you know, be married, settled with kids, and maybe have a, you know, a holiday every now and then. So they want to be like, you know, you know, rich or anything. But this is the thing. I think it's like the kind of macroeconomic kind of structures that no one that I mean no one can really see that the the industrialization that process like from the 70s yeah. onwards that it devastated this country yeah, so yeah. i remember sitting down and in this recent Boris Johnson election there was this young kid and he's talking I, I really like Margaret Thatcher i'm thinking you don't know you're <gasps> you don't you're know. You're, yeah. you're you're 90 you don't know you don't know what what that process did to yeah. people and and 
if you're in the south, southeast, if you're in London, you're in the bubble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But for most of the country, yeah. like you, the minor strikes and all that, you don't understand yeah, the devastation. The devastation. And then, then they look to kind of blame people, to demonise people. Yeah. So it's immigrants, it's the working class. Yeah. It's yous are, are the problem. But mm. this big thing that's happened that no one really can, you can't put it on because it's a concept really mm. that's gone on. And mm. it's happened. And because it happened over time, yeah, yeah. you can't it's, put your finger on it. You can't put your finger on it. Yeah. So it means that people can make sweeping yeah. statements. Sweeping about statements. It. And, so, yeah. and you're seeing this narrative come back with Boris Johnson, and it's saying it's, it's used up. And once you use that, that neoliberal argument, that you need to pull yourselves mm. up by your bootstraps and get mm. what fine work. Yeah. But where? But who? Yeah. And like, mm, I, I watched yeah. a program on, on Amazon, right? And like, how they've got a new workforce, and it's all robotic. The thing with Middlesbrough as well, and I think it's really important to see, Middlesbrough is not a typical northern town. I think everybody just thinks, oh, Middlesbrough, Newcastle, Sunderland, they're all the same. Actually, no, they're not. Middlesbrough is unique in terms that it's really hard to think of an area more de-industrialised than Middlesbrough. Okay. Like, Middlesbrough was, the you know, a real centre of global industry. It was massive. You know, we had ICI, British Steel... We had the docks, things like that, and you know it employed you know a lot of people. The whole area was built on that, and um, there's nothing, there's never been anything to replace that. Um, basically, what has replaced that is you know low-paid temporary jobs. I think Middlesbrough's really struggled to evolve as, as a town. It's not a city actually. Either everybody thinks Middlesbrough's a city. It's not. It's a town, mm. and unlike Newcastle, Sunderland, and Durham. They've all got, you know, they've all evolved into, you know, like things like the arts and theatre and stuff like that. And Newcastle's obviously got things like the Theatre Royal and obviously got a lot of shopping centres and things like that. Middlesbrough doesn't yeah. really have that. Mm. Um, and, you know, Middlesbrough, it's, it's history's really interesting as well. You know, it was, Middlesbrough was actually a farm. Okay. Yeah, it was actually a farm. It basically developed within 100 years. It went from being this tiny, small farm with about 40 people living on it to basically the centre of industry. It was the fastest growing city in the Victorian era. See, and, and it, that if you don't know your history, you don't appreciate yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And you don't understand why people feel the way they yeah, feel yeah. about their town. And no politicians, and unfortunately, the only politicians that do go there are the, the ones that tell lies. Like, so the, the far right will go there and they'll say, yeah. I can, we'll come there. Yeah. But the real politi- the politicians that matter don't go because they don't care. And and that's and that is the kind of bottom line. But that's, don't yeah, that's care. what I was tra- that's what I was asking. My extension question is: Do they care? But why would no, you care? Know. Why would you care? Like, no. if you're dealing with Google and all that, and everyone's in London. But it just it just feels like such a missed opportunity to just care. Like I don't know, I just. But it I, just blows my mind. They don't give a fuck, man. They don't, they don't care. Why, yeah. why would they? I know, why I know, I know. You, you're both right, uh, I know. But, I just... but the, the, most, the most shocking thing is how they would... But when they need them, they will mm. call on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this current election, in this Brexit and all this hype, this narrative about the white working class and how they're left behind, and not forgetting that everyone, the majority of this country is working class. Whether you're mm. ethnic, everyone's working class. Yeah. The, well, sorry, the majority of people are. So how do you call these people in? You start, yeah. you start bringing these narratives back, like these people are taking stuff from you yeah. and all yeah. this stuff and I'll come and fix your town. So Boris Johnson, one of the things, he's going to give money up north. He's, this, two point, this two point whatever million is mm. available for money right now. It's money they've had for ages, right? Yeah. But just right now, they decide to let it go. So it's not, it's not, a pre- not preparation for Brexit. They've always had this two point billion sitting there. Mm. So what the fuck, man? You've had money yeah, sitting there yeah. and you've let people use food banks. Well, no, you cunts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I swear to God. I don't care if it's a brand user telling me that. I'll knock him out. Him too. I know. That's what I feel like. Even (laughs) so, last night when I was thinking about this interview with Kate, watching the news, it's like Britain has somehow found 
it's gonna be six billion in total for Listen, yeah. people dying for the Bre- for no deal Brexit. And Listen, I was like, I go to the I walk past these drug centers all the time, right? And I see people there, and I'm thinking like, all this money just sitting there, and you're just letting people die like this yeah. for, for no reason, for no reason yeah. other than you want to build more flats. For what? For more people not to go in there. I hate them. I hate them all. How did Sean and the lads see? Do you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of Willis. Like, talking about the lads. How old are they? So the variant age, Sean is actually the youngest, but he was the most dominant. Okay. Um, so he ranged from, the youngest I interviewed was 26, and they ranged through to, I think the, the oldest interview was 64. Okay. It's quite a mixed bag, but generally middle-aged. And how did they, like whether it was in the interviews or just over when you're spending time with them, how did they make sense of their situation and their lives? And did they tell you... Like anything, sort of any particular in why they think that we've got this current moment mm. of really bad food insecurity. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think what was quite shocking was for most lads, this felt normal to them. This mm. was, you know, everybody, they said that sort of everybody was in the same boat and, um, you know, they all they all really hated the job centre, obviously. And then they all recognised that things were getting really hard in terms of, you know, applying for benefits and things like that. But I think as well, I think what got to me is the lad very, very, they're not, they weren't really interested in like politics or anything like that. We never really spoke about, you know, like austerity politics and things like that. They just, I think for them, just getting by through the day was quite a big thing to them. So yeah, I think they were kind of blinded by like their own shitty situations, I suppose. It It was just literally getting through the day. They had much bigger things to worry about. Did you ever feel like, like we've, we've spoken about this quite a lot on this season, like how do we as ethnographers, how do we go about talking to people who are clearly being purposely marginalised by yeah. the state? How do we communicate that what is happening to them isn't fair? Or do mm. we do that? Yeah, or did yeah. you do that, if that makes sense? I think, yeah, you have to be careful because I, I felt... Yeah, you had to like I had to walk a fine line. Like there would be times where I'd be like, you know, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. You know, you shouldn't be at the food places. And it's funny because I remember actually when I was I was working with one lad, and I said to him, I said, I think the free food places should be shut down. And he was like, What? He went, What do you mean? And I was like, He went, You know, we need them. And I'm like, Yeah, but I, I went, What I mean is they shouldn't exist. Mm. I was like, You shouldn't need to go to them. And he went, Oh yeah. He was like, I get your point. And he was like, I see, because he thought oh. I meant you know that the, the shut down and like they should you know, they shouldn't be existing just because I didn't like them. And I was like, no, no, no. But yeah, oh, it's so complicated. It's, it's difficult. I, th- I think as a working class person, I, uh, again, this is general, a, a generalised statement, I think that we have a lot of pride. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so there's a stigma of seeing that you can't cope. And then, like, you don't want to tell anyone and you feel bad, you yeah, feel embarrassed. Definitely. And that, that's, it's, it's so big that when we do get money, We'll spend it on the most expensive clothes, even though we're yeah. going to a shitty food bank. Yeah. Because that pride thing, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was a massive part of it. So, and that was that was a big part. I, I'll argue about the, the, about men as well. The, the men in particular, more so. I did interview a few women, but not many. But for the lads, it was very important about you know them being independent. And it was quite it was quite strange because even though they were reliant on food aid, 
that food did give them a source of independence. So going to their family was a really big shameful thing and it was just something that they didn't do. And I was saying before, um, you know, one, one of the lads, he'd been invited to his family's for Christmas and like the only, the only don't live far from him at all. And But he chose to go to a, basically at a, a Christmas dinner for the homeless. Mm. And I was like, why? I was like, why wouldn't you want to spend it with your family and have like a big roast dinner and all that? And he was just like, oh, no. He was like, I can't be bothered with my dad. And like, I know that basically it's because of that sort of thing with the family. They'd be like, oh, are you still on the dole? And like, have you not sorted yet? And you need to sort yourself out. And like, you know, what are you doing around town? Stuff like that. It was it was like that. It was massive. Yeah, I, it's huge for the lads. And it's, again, I suppose it's gendered. Yeah, like definitely. The kind of construct we have of, of what a man is. Yeah. And in a working class thing, I need to be strong. Yeah. I need to be independent and I need to be seen to be making something of myself. Yeah, definitely. So I, if it's, even if it's like working or studying, I need to be yeah. doing something. Because yeah. if I'm doing nothing, the kind of thing they're thinking, the assumption is I'm doing crime. Yeah. Or drugs or something that they think is socially unacceptable. But it, it's a head fuck, man. Like, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I see it every day. Like, I see guys, like, myself included, it doesn't matter how far you come, you, like, you think I need to be seen to be doing something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I don't know, man. The complications as well about going to the Trussell Trust and applying for a voucher and, like, having to deal with people and having to say, oh, look, I'm here because I've been sanctioned. Well, there isn't the food places. There's no referral place involved. I could take you, like, right now. We could go to a free food place. No one would ask any questions. Mm. We could walk in and be given food. Then the lads, they like that. They don't want people to know why they're there, and, and they don't business. like yeah. They don't like yeah. people questioning them and stuff like that. But see, this is quite interesting though. So when I've when I've gone into like work and see middle class people, they always ask for help. They always like, know to go to. They always yeah. and this is like what you've kind of been kind of. It's like those kind of like that social network they build up. That they know to ask for help. Yeah. If a working class thing is is like. If I've got no money, my kid has to look like he's got money. He's yeah. going to school in his best outfit. And even yeah. though we're starving, you don't tell them that. Yeah. You don't tell them you're on benefit. You don't and like, you, your parents will tell you that. Don't tell them you're on free school meals. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. And you think, as I've got older, I think, that's so fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're willing to ask for help. And we need help, but we can't yeah. ask because it's, there's a stigma to it. And it's like, it's, it's mad. It's a bit, yes, yeah, it's just mad. It's funny when you talk about clothes like, like Sean always wore the best gear mm. like mm. and I, I actually I remember like basically was a volunteer sort of basically saying like oh they've all still got good clothes they've all got Nike Air Maxes and do you know how much they cost you know like a hundred quid but I remember like quite a lot of them I, I, and I remember it was it was Beanie's birthday and I remember Sean come with his trainers and they were bright white they were literally blinding <laughs> me from like a mile away and you know what he really suited them and he looked good and I mm. said to him I went oh I really like your trainers and I knew for a fact he hadn't bought them I knew that his family had bought them so yeah. it's things like that as well and then I'll never forget as well when I was um, with the Salvation Army they were giving away like shoes and they were awful they were clumpy they were really chunky and they were giving away, they were trying to basically as well give away. Like, so if you were, say, a size eight, but we only had a seven and a half, they'd try and give you it. And it was just like, no, they don't fit. Mm. And I remember I remember Sean being down for a pair of shoes and I was like, do you want them? He went, I'm not wearing that shit. He was like, I'm not fucking. He's like, he's got pride. He was yeah. just like, no way. No, of course. You're pride. Yeah. I'm so, I think it's such a tired argument that like working class people can't have nice yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, it's so annoying when people say stuff like, but even... But like, even, but to even, us, like, oh well, like you could you could do better if you could do better in funding your research if you didn't wear listen, stuff from here, stuff from there. Do you know what? I, like, but I know even it's when not you the same, yeah. but it's even when I come argument. to university, even like on, on, a, on a simple thing, you come to university. The first thing I come here, I'm thinking, well, why is everyone dressed like that? I'm yeah. like, they've got dough, but they don't. They, 
Where's, where's your gums? Where's your mind in it? Where's your thing in it? They've got nothing. But, and I'm, same, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. And that's on the most superficial level. Like, yeah. in the gym, like everyone's skinning in the gym, but in the car park, everyone's driving Bentleys and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. In the council flat. <laughs> it makes no sense, man. But that's that's what it is, man. Like, working class people, that's what you would do because there's a pride thing to it, man. Mm. But just the amount of times that I've, I witness middle class people question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Lisa McKenzie frames it really well because the, there's issue. There's always issues in poverty where you'll find something and you think, oh, this is really difficult right about. So like Sean's trainers. Yeah. And I, I always remember as well that he, he told us when he got paid his job seekers, he always got a Chinese. Brilliant. And obviously, oh, and obviously, yeah. I, I love at the him. time, I love him. I know he does love his Chinese. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking at the time, yeah. I think you need to meet him. See? At the time, I remember thinking, oh, this is really problematic because everyone's going to say, oh, he's, you know, he's using all these food banks, but he's got a Chinese. But actually, and like Lisa McKenzie talks about this really well. She talks about, and even George Orwell, I think back to the 1930s, talked about these incidents as being like sugar in your tea. So it's taken that harshness away from life. And actually, yeah. it made sense for Sean to buy a takeaway because actually he hasn't got any means to cook at home. Mm. He doesn't have a cooker, he doesn't have a fridge, can't prepare. And you know what? Mm. That Chinese, like the way you talk about it as well, it was literally like it was a proper treat for it's him. Treat. It was something he really enjoyed and you could really tell that. But what I don't like though is, listen, if he wants to buy the Chinese, yeah, buy that Chinese. Buy Chinese yeah. like, who are you to tell yeah. me? Like you're trying to dictate and that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's the deserving and undeserving. So if I'm undeserving, you think I can't do what I want. Like that, it, it goes against the whole kind of basis of what we base our sight on. Yeah. The idea of freedom of the individual, freedom to do what you want. Mm. But now you're saying there's kind of limits to this. Like if I'm poor. Only if you're, yeah. yeah only if you do this, only if you become yeah. a Christian, only if you do this, only if you do that. Bro, fuck off, man. Yeah, Get me. Definitely. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened in terms of the, the group of lads? What were the things that they were doing to get by basically yeah so crime crime was a big part of life like well it was a big part of things in the group um you know so quite a lot of them and um, would shoplift and to sell things on just to get cash um there was what i what i found as well it was in the group it was like walking i call this the tightrope my thesis it was the atmosphere sometimes in the group could be really tense because at times they would betray each other it was, it was, there was a real fine line that we had. It was very odd because these lads would share anything with each other. They'd share the last tenner, you know, if anybody needed anything. Mm. Um, you know, even like things like they would share alcohol, anything. Mm. But also, you know, they would turn on each other and, um, you know, they would pinch money out of pockets and things like that. And it was, it, there was a real, as I said, it was like walking a tightrope and you had to learn the rules of the group and, you know, war betide anybody who did anything in the group because there would always be consequences so there's a lot of violence in the group um, and consequences would be yeah violent. yeah yeah so it was it was it was hard and it was and there was always arguments in the group about who done what and who hadn't acted you know appropriately and stuff like that respectfully yeah, yeah. this is like Jim the same code it's like survival isn't it yeah. so I'm the boss right but I don't know what to take the piss out of me if I feel yeah. that someone's mugging me off like, it's a problem if you're taking what's yeah. mine, it's a problem. Mm. So if you steal that tenner, I'll smash you up. Mm. Standard. And I'll take your tenner. Plus my own back. I'll never forget, like, it was one day, it was really awkward. Um, Sean, like, he'd basically he'd slept in and um, I was sitting with, like, lads outside the library and um, he turned up and he was absolutely, like, raging. Like, I've never seen him like this before and it was... I actually kind of felt a little bit scared of him and it was, like, the first time he, I, I'd ever sort of thought, ooh... 
Mm. I'm not comfortable here. Like, this is getting quite nasty. And he'd had basically a tenner nicked out of his um, jacket pocket um, when he'd basically been passed out on, like, a cocktail of drugs. And and I just couldn't believe, like, how angry he was. And he was in, like, the threats he was making. He was going to burn this guy's house down. He was going to stab him up. And it was just like, oh, my God. It, it was really, it is, it was, yeah, what I learned about, like, the group is, like I say, it is like walking a tightrope and you've got to be so careful. And, yeah, there was, like, you know, silent rules in the group, just things that you didn't do. And, yeah, you had to... But I they will know. But you, yeah, you understand, yeah. you will know. And if you see yeah. people that know their place. Yeah. So you, you see guys that come in, and if I see a guy that I think, right, he's a bit, he's, he seems weaker than me. Yeah, yeah. Or he seems a bit untrustworthy, and you, you clock him, and you think he doesn't doesn't dress the same as us. So automatically, you're not. I'm oh, not speaking yeah, to you. Yeah. I'm not speaking to you because I don't Definitely. trust you. And it, like a lot of that is all that posturing. It's all that male it's posturing. So much it's masculinity, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's masculinity. Like I think what is really sweet and like I, I honestly it always really touches me is how you know dominant members would look after sort of the more. Um, if you like more vulnerable people in the group, so like there was okay. quite a few, there was quite a few like elderly service users and like, you know, there was an unwritten rule that they would be looked after and that, you know, like if I always remember when I first met Sean, there was like an elderly service user who, who proper character from Middlesbrough um, and I remember he was sitting on his own and it, it looked so sad and I remember Sean being like, oh, you know, how are you Harry, come and sit with us, like don't be on your own and it was, it is really touching as well. So it was such a complicated group to work with because you'd see things that would like melt your heart. And like, you know, they were like that with me as well, you know, like after mm, any interview, I had to be walked back to my car. I had to be walked back to campus. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to like walk around on my own, <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. And you know, like, and like, you know, they taught me how to play pool and stuff like that. And it was just little like acts of kindness like that. But then again, there's just that bit, that total flip side of it mm. of like, if you cross me, like I will stab you. But this is like, it's like, a, it's, so, it's so cliche, but it's like so, classic yeah. working class life. Like yeah. you've got rules. Like but that's, it comes with being marginalised, doesn't it? So yeah. it's not like yeah. an individualised thing. A, like I think it's... it was a way of retaining order in the chaos. Yes, yeah, but, yeah. that's yeah. a good... A good but you see that, right, if you go back, if you speak to older people and you see these rules were more normal, because the, those class, they tend, they, those values were valued. The idea of respecting people, but mm. now like those those values are not the norms now, mm. and so these groups are they're kind of marginalised. So mm. it's, these values are not normal. So what values are kind of dominant? It tends to be the neoliberal middle class values are dominant, mm. and so this is why people want to kind of return. There's a kind of longing to return to that where yeah. where men were men. So that's where you get this kind of toxic masculinity where men were oh, men, yeah. and like everyone knew their place because there's a sense of order to that. Mm. And it's a sense that it's a world that pe- some people recognise. Mm. But these kind of, these kind of, the new kind of gentrified lot where the kind of capital flows goes in and out, those rules don't matter anymore. Mm. But you have these kind of oasises. Like when I, I lived in Scotland, because I was going to Newcastle. And when I go to Newcastle... Newcastle, I really like Newcastle. Listen, I go there and I think to myself, how are people walking around with, like, with no clothes on? The pig's freezing. <laughs> in boiling down here. We're, we're like, freezing. And, and the best thing, with curlers in the hair. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, this is this is weird. <laughs> this is so weird. But like I said, but coming from London and like we've lost we lost our working class communities. It went a long time ago. Yeah. So when I went come up there and I'd see it and you'd recognise stuff and people like I would someone offered me a, some sugar from next door. I'm like. Whoa, I think what's it, this? What are they trying to do? They're trying to mug me off. Just put, and so I called my mum, I said, listen, someone's, sh- someone's offering me sugar. <laughs> and she said, just take it. I said, are you for real? Like, they don't want nothing back. 
And she goes, they, they just be nice. I'm like, bro. Like, wow. In London, like you said, you, like, you lost that a long time ago. Like, grew up in the 80s, you we used to have that. But yeah. as we got on, it's, it's gone, man. Yeah. So yeah. when you go further north, you see that. Yeah, you do. And people be really nice to you. Like, people are like, morning. I'm like, <laughs> what, what do you Jesus want? Looking up and down <laughs> what and do you want? Are you try, <laughs> trying to what, you trying to mug me? What, what are you trying to say? <laughs> it's just weird. It's, it's nice. See, that's what I love about Middlesbrough as well. Like, everybody will talk to you and, like, you know, the lads are like that. When I see them, they're like, oh, hi. And they always call us doll. So it's, mm. it's an abbreviation of darling. Yeah. And like, honestly, whenever I hear that word doll, it always makes a smile because it just reminds me of Middles Brother. Like, oh, you're all right, doll. How are you doing? How are you getting on? And it's just like that. It is like a real friendliness. It's just, it is such a good, like, a, yeah, weird area. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a nice thing. And like, yeah. you could, like you said, you see that and you see that and you think like, you, you see them as people. Yeah, yeah. But the bit that kind of gets picked up by the press and stuff like that is the, all the kind of madness that goes on. And we know there's a madness, but these things are not, it's not because of the individual. Mm. If we're honest, it's the system. Mm. And it puts people in places to make decisions that are fucking shit decisions, man. Mm. They'll say you've got a choice, but the choices yeah. are fucking shit, man. Mm. What, food banks or crime? We fuck it, I'll do, I'll do both. <laughs> Stand. Mm. Mm. And that's essentially what you found. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, um, it was a lot of... Um, <laughs> You know, and I don't want to sort of like what's the word add fuel to sort of like some of the myths, but again, Middlesbrough is um, unique in terms of its problems with with drug abuse. So Middlesbrough is the heroin capital of the UK. So you know, heroin dealing was rife in Middlesbrough, and a lot of the lads did dealing stuff like that. But what I actually found was they're not drug dealers in what you'd think. So when you look at drug dealing, it's quite glamorised in like some music videos and stuff. But actually, these lads were actually exploited mm-hmm. by bigger drug dealers. It would basically be like. They get this free. Yeah. They get this free. It was basically, yeah, yeah. they were heavily exploited. Oh and they didn't God. see that. They yeah. would see themselves as dealers. Yeah. And I'd kind of be like, but you're not. Yeah. You know, you're being exploited here. There was a lot of that around. This is telling me, like, you, someone will sell you drugs and say, like, you get yeah. yours for free. Yeah, basically. And that's you're like, what it was. you're like, all right. And, th- and at the time, when you're a kid, that, that seems like a, b- a good deal. Yeah. But I'm, get- I'm getting mine for free. You're saving up 20 quid. But when you got when you got no money, twenty quid's like a million pounds. Middles are it's like one of the cheapest places for heroin as well. You can really? buy like a bag of heroin for a fiver. Fiver, oh my days. Oh my god. What is in that though? Oh yeah, the, the quality is terrible. Yeah. Um the quality is absolutely like shocking. And mm. um, which is why I was saying mm. before, if there's any sort of pure heroin that comes to Middlesbrough, we lose a Die. lot of the lads the because they're not used too to much. it. It's all sorts, man. It's mm. cut with with sugar. A lot of crushed tablets as well, and actually tablets is a big one. Uh, that was a big thing in the research. I saw he- not just heroin, but um, the, the cell uh, like yeah, any drugs, drugs, sleeping tablets, antidepressants, you name it. Like they wanted it. And um, buscapan was a big one. Mm-hmm. They crushed buscapan down. Oh, massive, in inject it, yeah. massive. Um, I always remember, I'll never forget. <laughs> Sorry, I've got like shocked face. <laughs> I'm used to but I yeah. had to cut this out with my thesis, but I'll give you an example. I, I remember I was packing up. I had this backpack actually. Oh, there it is. Oh, sorry, over there. And I'm, I'm epileptic and my, my tablets are huge. Like they are, they could not go this out. They are massive. And I remember putting them away and Sean was just looking at me. I went, what are they? <laughs> I went, I was like, they're my epilepsy tablets. And I, and I, he's like, let's have a go. The, the grin on his face. And I went, you're not fucking having any. He went, all right, he went, I'm just asking. I went, I know exactly what you're thinking. I went, you're not fucking having any. And he went, all right, so all right. And I was just like, but he would have, he yeah. would have took them. If I'd yeah. given them, he would have took them. It's a thing, man. It's a real thing. Like, if you're in, in that culture as well, yeah. that drug culture, you just take 
anything man. yeah of course like, you do you take it's, it's a it's a way of co- it's a self-medication you know like the, their life you know they don't have a lot to look forward to you know every day is pretty much the same and for them it's just a little bit of like escapism mm-hmm. and obviously once you're hooked of course of it. course it is of course but this is what, this what drives like, me insane when I see people, people so judgmental that. yeah of course yeah. Like, what, Listen, like, what do you want them to if do if I was homeless and I was starving for days I would take yeah. anything to <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what's, oh, what are you offering me yeah. I will take it because like Life when you're shit. hungry, you could you could eat like now. Yeah. But when you're starving, it could be a week. Like oh, I don't know, man. Looking at the times in which you've been doing this ethnography, mm. so 2017, yeah, through to 2018, and now you're writing up in 2019. Like, what a moment we are in. Yeah. In yeah. terms of the destabling and dismantling of the welfare state, austerity really kicking in, universal credit oh, being yeah. rolled out. Can you speak to a little bit how? your research, if you had done your research, let's say in like the early noughties, how different it would have been then to where you are now, where we are now? Oh, that is a tough one. What a question. Um, and I'm not trying to glamour, I'm not trying to glamorise the early noughties, no. guys. I know it wasn't, <laughs> I know, I'm not saying that was a no. good time, but in terms of looking at what we had, mm. but I mean, me and T talk about this a little bit on the podcast, like for all their for all their very, very problematic policies. Like, if what governments that happened sort of 1997 mm. to 2008, like, I wouldn't be sat here because we were so, we were so reliant on Shorestar, on think, welfare, on benefits, on state mm. school as well. Like, what can we see has happened looking at poverty, essentially, and means th- to tackle poverty? I think we've really... I think what frightens me is we've really embraced things like food banks. I think yes. the UK really actually likes food banks. Uh, the amount of times I hear people saying, oh, food banks, what a great idea. Actually, no, it's not a good idea. Mm. Food banks are not good. What they do is good, but they, like, as an institution, <laughs> is not good. Was it Jacob Rees-Mogg said it saying... Yeah, they're it's... uplifting. Yeah, that's but what he said. Frick. I think... I think what it's changed... looks like he's about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> that word. I think what's Italian. really changed is just it's just how accustomed we've become into people suffering. I just think you know what we just as society, I think we've lacked just care. I, I, yeah. I don't know. It's just so hard and ob- to talk about. And obviously, that was like that was the seeds were being planted through mm. previous governments, yeah, yeah, like eighties, nineties, and noughties. Yeah. But obviously, now is like mm. the putting it into practice and justifying it. I think yeah. as well, things just like about how our knowledge around things like poverty's got around has changed. So, you know, things like social media and all these, and, and, and the role of the media and what is that that's had an effect on things like, you know, obviously we had that benefit influx street. of, yeah, oh. Benefits Street, Benefits by the Sea. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah, so benefits and, and dogs and things like that. It was absolutely bizarre. And yeah, I think about how our knowledge has changed around poverty. Um, yeah, so like, obviously, you see it all the time on Facebook, people, all these stories getting around there, and you look at the comments and they are just absolutely Horrendous. disgusting. But this is, it. what annoys me, and I, I pulled my friend up on this, I said, he goes, They're all, everyone's on benefits. I said, okay, who is this person? Yeah, this person yeah. you're describing. Yeah. This person has got 26 kids. That's a, it does, they're not real. Yeah. You don't know this person. But I'm telling you, you know Fred Danero, Joe Powell. Yeah. He's struggling. You know that. But this person that you, that's got... That 20, yeah, he's got seven yeah. kids and they, they get yeah. 42 grand. 
no one exists like that. Yeah. It's always in the paper, no one exists. I, I just think as well, like, you know, it, it, we have just got a real, uh, the past sort of 10 years or so, well, even before, sorry, really, we've just got a real hatred for poor people. Mm. Mm. And it is, it's, a, it's one of those social divisions, like, you know, if we spoke about women the way we do, poor people or people of colour, mm. there, there would be hell on. Mm. But because it's class, it's different, it's mm. invisible, and it's not, it's really hard to define and to look at and to see it in action. But we just... We, you know, we really hate people. We but, really turned against but you know each other. I think, I think growing up, especially where I grew up, people had a strong identity of who they were. Yeah. So people would say, what paper you read? And you identify yeah, by yeah. your class. But, that, but as we've moved into this new phase, identity has replaced class. Mm-hmm. Class is something that no one really talks about. Yeah. Identity, everyone talks about them. So yeah. it's your gender, your religion, your race. And these are all important issues because they all intersect. But class yeah, as a uniting yeah. factor, that could unite people, because it's been slowly slipped aside because it can mm. unite people. And I was reading uh, this week in, in preparation. So in 1676, like this thing called Bacon's Rebellion, one thing that he couldn't have, the elite couldn't have, was races working together because they unified mm-hmm. when the idea of class, because they all were skint and being exploited by yeah. the people at the top. So they realised that, listen, this is not a good idea. So they start inventing this notion of race, separating two, two groups of people who had the common interest yeah. in economics yeah. Yeah. and say, listen, well, listen, one of you is a bit more special than the other one. Yeah. And it, these things work to justify expectation, to keep people apart, yeah. we play down class. Yeah. Because class, like I said, we all might be different races and religions and creeds, but we all live in the same book of council flats, which is a shithole, man. Mm. So we all live here, man. So... Like, how do we keep them apart? Yeah. So we don't we don't talk about that. How do we how do we retrieve like I don't how do we retrieve the intersections of class that make class what it is? As in, how can we retrieve the fact that our economic instability or stability can unite us against the powers that be? Like, how can we? How can we stop people using things like immigration, things like racism, to justify separation of our right. shared mm. class I, I identity? Would, like, how can we do that? I, I would speak on this. Like, so I speak about conviviality. Yeah. So this thing, we sit here and listen. Like, through our clothes and what we do, what we talk about, apart from childish Gambino and all them kind of things, there <laughs> we like similar music, and it them things there, right? Boom. Or we have similar. We we do the similar things. We go to the same places. We we eat the same same foods. Mm. Like we do a lot of things together, and sometimes it's functional conviviality. But sometimes, most mm. time, we're friends, man. Mm. Like I know your family, you know my family. It's, we're friends. Yeah. Mm. And so all the other stuff is all bullshit, man. And so once you start seeing it, but that takes work and that takes effort. And and also it just feels like we're being like from the other like people that are able to grow and I don't I'm not playing into the myth of uh, a, a, tip, a typified white working yeah. class mentality I'm not yeah. playing into that because I don't I don't no. I don't believe in that I believe that um, I believe and know that the working class in Britain is multi-ethnic multiracial yeah, yeah. but how do we combat the people that tell some demographics of the working class that it is other sections of the working class that are the reason why they can't get jobs or they can't honestly you, know I mean? you can't see yeah. the, the scariest thing at the moment is Boris Johnson and his crew are promising words that kind of ring true in like in the British psyche things like restoration golden age yeah harkening back yeah. to when you're on top so all these people the bad times you're suffering 
I'm telling you stuff and it's a narrative that rings true because if you're suffering you're thinking these guys are going to make things better Mm. because no one else has and he seems a bit different even though he's not different the the kind of this the way they sell it and that these myths that you these lies that telling they they ring true man but what will happen if Boris has his like premiership and whatever no deal happens and it all goes to shit he blame he'll blame he'll blame the EU you'll blame someone else Mm. but those things it will give those working class people not it give the disenfranchised the people who have been marginalised they'll say okay yeah it is our enemy I see this a lot what surprised me the free food places is the lads do this thing called othering Mm-hmm. where they talk about who deserves to be at the free food places and who doesn't. And mm-hmm. it, it drives me mad about how people in poverty actually other oh, other people in poverty. Yeah. And it's it's because, like, our the ideology about poor people is just so powerful. It's even taken on in yeah. working class communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. also about, as well... It's the media do it, as well. The media yeah. yeah, and it's it, also yeah. about, like... I think the way the lads are justifying why they should be there, yeah. but actually why you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's it, it yeah. It's so pow- It's so hard to talk about, but yeah, I sit all the time at the free food places. But all again, the time. I'm going to quote Franz Fennan again. The oppressed always believe the worst about themselves. Yeah. So you start believing that shit. You hear yeah. it enough, you believe it, and you start thinking like, I deserve to be here. And, it, and, and you don't think of it in the I conscious... I deserve, of, yeah. they don't. Well, no, yeah. well, sometimes it's a personal thing, yeah. and then sometimes as a group, but you don't realise you're doing it consciously. So mm. all the things you internalise as a woman, all the things you internalise as a black person, you don't realise that you're doing it, but mm. you're acting it, man, and you're thinking, what the fuck, man? Did I just, did I just put up with that? Someone just mugged me, after, and I've just said, yeah, it's fine. Mm. But you, you've internalised yeah. it. And, you think, and it's not until you get older and sometimes you're a bit more self-aware. Mm. Most time, most people don't question it. Because mm. it's normal. Oh, my God, it's the Matrix, man. We're fucked. It does feel like, <laughs> it does feel like we're in, like, I don't know. No. It's just, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like we are one of the most, you know, advanced societies in the world, and yeah, it like what I look at, it literally harks back to something like the Great Depression, the soup mm-hmm. kitchens, people queuing up for free food. I think what are we fifth richest, fourth yeah, richest, I think fifth, fifth. I think. Yeah, and yeah. I saw this morning the guy was saying we're doing really well. We're, we're doing really well compared economically compared to our European competitors. We're doing, we're, we're, we're minted. That's what Trump. That's what Trump's been saying. Like saying, like our economy is like incredible at the yeah. moment, and the, they know that it and it's not. I, I, no, I, say, I suppose it is if you're at the top, and when you're in somewhere like London, because it moves so fast. Mm. If you're making money, you're it's a good city, man. But most people in London aren't making. That's another sort of yeah, myth so you, that I feel like the media and politicians perpetuate is that London's like this bubble of yeah. wealth, and most people that live in yeah. London are working only class. in certain pockets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are working class. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to wrap up there. Kate, it's big research, man. That is a big project. I feel like t <laughs> oh, get on with Sean. Listen, who's getting the mad one? He is, I love him a bit. Like, I hate him at times. I get really annoyed with him and the fucking stupid shit he does. But, like, he's like my brother from another mama. Like, mm. I love him a bit. Honestly, you probably miss them, man. <laughs> Amazing research, Kate, and well done. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate, for our first episode of season oh, six. Welcome. But our 51st episode of Surviving Society in total. We hope you enjoyed the previous season um, as much as we enjoyed recording it. Um, as per usual, if you want to support us in getting more people like Kate down um, and ensuring that our... Get on the Patreon. Just get yeah, on the Patreon. Just get bro. on the Patreon. <laughs> just get on the Patreon. Listen, listen, just get on it. 
You've got bit. No, I'm joking. Just get the patron. But please carry on listening. Carry on. Yeah, we're we're so we're so so grateful for all the support. And um, if you are interested in coming on the podcast, direct message us. We're particularly interested in class-based, race-based, anti-racist work. So yeah get in touch yeah we're going to bring people through when we help people yeah definitely we'll speak to you next week later later Later. (laughs) we just want to do a little bit of a special mention even though he looks he looks a bit embarrassed but loads of you that have been on the journey with us from when we started the podcast in September 2017 know how hard sort of as a team and T as an individual Mm. we've been working to get him PhD funding and and yeah I I, well well, well, yeah I got it I got it it. (laughs) (laughs) what the man (laughs) Tiso Oh, look at that. <laughs> Tiso is going uh, to fair, be funded by UCL. But I don't, I don't really Woo! like those things, did it? Because like, there's people out there struggling. Everyone's struggling, isn't it? Yeah. But, but it was tough, man. Like, I think I applied for 10 altogether. But that was wow. over a course over, of three years. Two years, two years, two years, two years, over two years, right? It's not that you're blowing your own trumpet, but uh, you start thinking, right, am I actually talking shit? <laughs> because like literally I've been sitting there thinking this thing for a long time. Mm. And you know, you think to yourself like, it was a good idea. But everyone seems to think it's not a good idea. But sometimes people say, no, it is a good idea. What's happened? And like, you, you get a bit confused. So I don't know. I, I think the process is a bit fucked. I'm happy to have funding, but it, it's not a fair process, man. It's not it's an not open process. process. Not at all. It's such a institutionally racist and classist process yeah. that has got to change. But for now, we take this win. Yeah. And yeah. thank you for everyone. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, it's amazing. But, um, yeah, I'd, like I said, I'd, 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 I'd like to see more people being funded, more working class people funded, yeah. more people of colour being funded, more, more women being funded, because it's we're, we're the ones being studied. It's We're the ones that make your research, but you don't give us a chance to give us to our own voices or, on our own research, you know, on our people. Mm. But, yeah, it's one of them things. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. I'm going to buy trainers with it. <laughs> <laughs>